0: meant Caius the man, a man in general, and that was all perfectly correct. But he himself was not Caius, and not a man in general. He had always been a person quite, quite distinct from everyone else. He was Vanya, with his mama and papa, with his toys, with all the joys and sorrows and delights of childhood, boyhood, and youth. Had Caius known the smell of that little striped leather ball Vanya had loved so much? Had Caius kissed his mother's hand like that? Had Caius been in love as he had been? Could Caius preside over a meeting as he did? Caius was indeed mortal, and it was right for him to die. But for me, Vanya, Ivan Illich, with all my emotions, all my thoughts, that's another matter. It cannot be that I am meant to die. That would be too terrible. That was what Ivan felt. I find that passage from Tolstoy's work incredibly powerful in what it says about how we think about ourselves. The reality we face is we all experience reality through our personal lens. We know it through our senses and through our thoughts. And it's not a real long step from that to say therefore, because that's true, because I experience everything through my own lens, therefore I get to determine my reality, that life should therefore be oriented as I see fit and based on what I feel. And indeed, we see that tendency is throughout our society. In saying that and moving in that direction, we acknowledge a kind of truth that each person is a person quite distinct from everyone else, to quote Tolstoy, and we go from that kind of truth to an untruth, that I should therefore define reality on my own terms and orient my whole life around myself A mortal who's here for a few years. Throughout this series in Paul's letter to the Philippian church, we've again and again encountered him telling the believers, you must think and orient your lives very differently from that. Paul began the letter by describing himself and Timothy as doulos, bond servants, someone in a lowly role, and he talked about his, prison, his situation in prison where, for him personally, he would kind of rather just die and be with the Lord. But he says, but I rejoice because I have this opportunity to see the good news preached and to care for you, the Philippian people, and other believers. Then Paul goes on toward the end of chapter 1 to talk about how the Philippians should orient their lives around who they are in Christ Jesus by having a manner of life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In her commentary on Philippians, Janine Brown translates that as living in singular loyalty to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then in chapter 2, of course, Paul began by calling the Philippians to, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves and look after the interests of others. And he showed what that looked like in the examples, of course, of Jesus, first of all, and then of Timothy and Epaphroditus, each of whom showed this humble prioritizing of God's kingdom Over their own interests. They were willing to suffer and indeed to die for the sake of who God called them to be. Their lives were oriented around Him. In chapter 3, Paul goes on to show this in his own example, when he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. By the way, the ESV is a little delicate here. Um, that word rubbish is actually a lot stronger than just rubbish. It's something more like dung, right? If you want a vivid image of this, think about like after you change that baby's diaper, you know the really gross one, um, and you got that thing, what are you going to do with that thing? You're going to throw it in the trash. You're going to get it out of there. You're probably going to take the trash outside and put it in the dumpster, right? You want that out, right? That's kind of what Paul's talking about. He's saying everything else is like that, compared to knowing Christ and orienting my life around him. In chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul circled back to the same root word that he used in chapter 1, verse 27. So in one twenty-seven, he uses the verb, verb form, um, to say that we're to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, defined by the gospel in this singular loyalty to Christ's gospel. In 3.20, he uses the noun form to remind the Philippians, and indeed to remind us, that this defining identity is secure because it's held by Christ himself. Our identity is found in him. Our citizenship is in heaven, and he holds that secure. Now, that's kind of a long setup for today's reading, but I promise we're getting there now, um, but that, because this is the context of what Paul is saying in chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. In some ways, this passage offers a kind of summary of key points Paul is making throughout the epistle. In the last verse of today's reading, Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Which of course immediately demands this question of us, well then, what are these things? What are we to practice? Well, it's everything we've learned and received and heard and seen, so go back and read the first three chapters, I suppose. But like a good teacher, Paul doesn't assume that we remember everything he said, and this all leaps to mind instantly. And so he summarized the main points very specifically in the preceding verses, giving us three very practical commands and one core vision that kind of brings those three practical commands together. So let's look at these three commands and this vision together. The first command in verse four echoes our series theme of whole and holy joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. When I preached from chapter two four weeks ago, I noted that not only is Paul's command to rejoice not separate from pain, suffering, and sacrifice, the two are in fact interconnected. Paul is joyful in jail where he's suffering and he wishes he could just be freed to be with Jesus. It's not a pleasant situation. Jesus himself is declared and crowned king on earth but his crown is a crown of thorns and his throne of course is the cross being people of joy is something very different from and indeed deeper than being happy in the moment it's not the same thing that call to joy is interconnected with the other two commands that Paul reminds the Philippians of here and we find that second one in verse five where he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The word reasonableness here can be translated gentleness. And the idea is you behave in a way that is infused with this joy that is found in the Lord. In a way people can see as appropriate for someone who has hope beyond the circumstances of this world. The people in the Roman Empire, to whom Paul is writing, enjoyed a kind of stability and a kind of peace under the rule of their lord caesar but paul's reminding us we in god's kingdom enjoy a far greater stability and a far greater peace that's rooted in our relationship with jesus christ who is our lord so if that's true and it is we should be characterized by reasonableness by gentleness by this appropriate behavior then in verse six we see the third command Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything. That's a command that is like, it's super simple, and it also feels probably utterly impossible. How can we not be anxious in our fallen world? There are reasons to be anxious all over the place. I don't have to name them for you. You're probably thinking of them right now. Oh yeah, you know, run down the list in your head. There's lots. There's lots. Well, obviously, we often don't succeed at this, but the command remains, so we have to wrestle with, what is Paul saying here? What's he getting at? Well, Paul tells us, here's the path to non-anxiety. Here's the path to moving away from being characterized by being anxious. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So how are we not to be anxious? Paul says, bring your anxieties to God. So your requests or supplications, yes, The things you're grateful for? Yes, those thanksgivings. Other concerns, whatever those are? Yes, bring them in prayer. Paul says we move away from anxiety by moving toward God. I want you to notice something with these three commands that we've just walked through that Paul gives. With each of these commands, it obviously is calling us to action, saying you need to do this. But it also is noting that we can only do these things And we're called to do these things in God's grace and in God's power. So if you look at the commands again, rejoice in the Lord always. Not just like rejoice, come up with joy in yourself. Rejoice in the Lord. That's where we're finding the joy. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. How can we be reasonable? We know the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Every one of those commands brings us back to that dual requirement that we have to act and we absolutely have to have God's grace and God's power to be able to do any of this. In the Lord, the Lord is at hand to God. Back in chapter 2, Paul had told us we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what Paul's saying is this is our responsibility, yes, but it's also God's responsibility. We must act, but God is the one who will provide. In ourselves, we cannot always rejoice. We cannot be consistently gentle or reasonable. We cannot avoid being anxious. But our call in all this is to move toward God around whom our lives are oriented. And as we begin to live out these commands and thus be reshaped by that encounter with God, then our lives get reoriented around him rather than around ourselves. Rather ironically, in Tolstoy's work, The Death of Ivan Illich, even as Ivan is emphasizing how he's this special particular person, right, and he em- emphasizes that point, um, he illustrates this very general tendency we all have as humans, a tendency to be self-focused and to find the world around ourselves. And so even as Tolstoy puts these words in Ivan's mouth, he takes great pains to show us that Ivan is, in fact, kind of a lot like everybody else, right, in many ways. Um, he's an everyman, um, which is really striking and comes back to us and says, how do we orient our lives? Around myself, my wisdom, or around God? So our call as disciples of Christ Jesus is to move away from being self-defining and toward the Lord Jesus defining us. And Paul says, when we do, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we've looked at Paul's three commands, rejoice in the Lord always, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And that brings us to the vision that encompasses all of that, and we find that in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything, any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We're not going to go through and parse all those things Paul lists. But when you think about those virtues that Paul is listing there in verse 8, at the core of all that is he says, seek the beauty that all those virtues are intertwined with. Because when we contemplate what is beautiful, then we are drawn to the source of beauty, God himself. Now making that connection is hardly automatic. Um, There's certainly people who love to look at beauty and never find themselves drawn to God. And we see that actually in St. Augustine's beautiful prayer in his confessions where he wrestles with this reality of beauty is all grounded in God and necessitates God, and yet at the same time, for a long time, he wasn't there. Augustine says this late have I loved you beauty so old and so new late have I loved you and see you were within and I was in the external world and I sought you there and in my unlovely state I plunged into those lovely created things which you made you were with me and I was not with you the lovely things kept me far from you though if they did not have their existence in you They had no existence at all. Augustine's journey from the beautiful things to the one who's the source of all beauty was a complicated one. Sometimes the beauty of the world even drew him away from God in the short run. But in the end, he realized all that was only able to be beautiful and to participate in beauty because God is beautiful and God creates beauty. In a similar way, Paul's vision here suggests that when we are drawn to And think about these things, the true, the honorable, the just, the pure, the lovely, the commendable, the excellent, and the praiseworthy, then we should be reminded that nothing and no one is more worthy and more beautiful than Jesus Christ. This, of course, is what we've been seeing throughout Paul's letter to the Philippians and what he's lived out before them. And so we come back to where we started in contemplating this passage, which is their call and ours. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So bookending verse 8, that vision of beauty that encompasses all these commands, this is what we should do, this is how we should focus our minds. Bookending that, Paul says in verse 7, we will have the peace of God with us, and then in verse 9, we'll have the God of peace. Surrounding that vision of beauty is the peace of God and the God of peace. Because when God is our vision, when we orient our lives around Him and His beauty, He defines who we are, and that's where we get that peace. That's our vision as Christians. That's what we're called to. So Paul is saying, then and only then can we truly live in the joy of God, can we live out His gentleness to the world around us, and can we cast all our anxiety on Him. So, Church of the Redeemer, practice these things. Rejoice. In the Lord, always. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness, be known to everyone, because the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just— whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.